Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ride. This is Jillian here, and I just wanted to check in with y'all before we start this interview because we did actually record this with Cole right after he won the Run for a Million, which was back in August. But we weren't able to release anything about who the winner was until recently because of the TV show, The Last Cowboy. So when we talk about some things that have already happened, like the Futurity and the Congress, it's because we did record this a few months ago back in August. So we just wanted to let you know what was going on with that, and we hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of The Ride is brought to you by Bimeda. Bimeda might be the biggest animal health company that you've never heard of until now. Bimeda's products have been trusted by veterinarians and owners since the 1960s when their Irish roots began. Bimeda is one of the largest producers of dewormers like Equimax, Bimectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes also rely on polyglycan, a patented formula that replaces lost or damaged synovial fluid, and Confidence EQ pheromone gel, which reduces and prevents equine stress. Consult your vet and visit buymediaus.com to see where to buy. and welcome back to another episode of The Ride. This is Nicole and I'm here with my co-host Jillian and today we are interviewing Cole Price of Price Performance Horses and he just coincidentally we had this interview on the schedule before the run for a million and Cole Price just happened to be the big winner so congratulations on your win and thank you so much for taking time to come talk with us because I'm sure you have been crazy busy. Yeah thank you so much it's a pleasure to be on here. So you are in the reining industry, obviously, since you won the million, the run for a million, which is one of the biggest reining events in history. How did you get your start in horses? Let's go back to the, the total beginning of, of where your love for horses actually started. So I'm from a town in Illinois. My family had Pertron draft horses when I was born. We had a four horse hitch that we would go around all the county fairs and then the state fairs and show. And I think we did that until I was probably eight or nine, maybe nine or 10, somewhere in there. But I was always horse crazy. That's all I ever wanted to do was be around horses. Um, you know, I definitely think I was just born with the itch of it. I mean, seriously, that's all I ever wanted to do is be around horses. Honestly, and I didn't really care what type. I don't know that I really had, I mean, I think I always had interest in riding, but I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, I didn't know it turned into what it did, for example. But we got out of the draft horses and then I started going over to my neighbors and riding. She had just a couple of quarter horse trail horses that she rode a little bit. And then kind of started like just exploring my options as far as learning, um, you know, through magazines like Horse and Rider. And, um, you know, there was a lot of stuff on RFD TV. So I got really kind of interested in like Clinton Anderson and, and John Lyons and the natural horsemanship kind of um you know, that, that sort of program. And, uh, I kind of really fell in love with the idea of training horses. You know, I remember the first time I ever got a horse to turn into me in the round pen and walk up to me with nothing on it. And I just thought that was just mind boggling what you could, 
when you got into a horse's brain and what you could actually get it to do uh, willingly. And I still have that. I mean, that's kind of still, um, that itch has never gone away. I mean, just the, the, to learn how to make a horse hunt what, what you want. Um, and every day I try to focus on that and try to learn more from it. Um, you know, everybody wants to become a better horse trainer and I always try to become a better horseman. Uh, and I think that's what separates the good from the greats. Um, but I was probably, no, I don't know, probably 13 or 14. And I kind of started training. I'd get like in the summer, I'd get some, uh, outside horses in to start, um, kind of started up my own little business for a while. And I think at one point I had like 10 horses. I was going around the neighbors and riding them, uh, my grandpa would haul me around and I'd ride him for an hour and just, just made a big circle. Um, and then my grandpa bought a horse from the Pitzer ranch that had Hollywood done it. I think it was a granddaughter Hollywood done it. And that once I kind of started like trying to figure out bloodlines, I knew Hollywood done it was a reigning horse, but I never really paid any attention to what reigning was. And since he bought a reigning bred horse, I'm like, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do with it. Um, so then I started kind of looking more into reigning. And I do remember one of the very first runs I ever seen was Sean Florida's Faturity win on Wimpy's Little Step, which is probably a terrible first run to ever see because that's what you think it's supposed to look like. <laughs> um, so then I started kind of wanting to flirt on with trying to learn how to do it. Um, and I did it for probably a year or two by myself and I figured if I'm going to do this I need to go get help and kind of at that point I, I kind of had the itch like the feeling of turning a horse around the very first time was just like mind-boggling to me so I think from there on I think that horse made me want to become a reigning horse trainer and even like throughout high school you know when your guidance counselors ask you what you want to do um she actually told me after I graduated high school, she said, you're the few students I ever, I didn't have to worry about because you told me exactly what you want to do and, and that's what you're doing. Um, but I think I was between my junior and senior year of high school, I got an internship with Brent Lowski in Texas. Um, and my parents drove me down there, kind of want to make sure the situation was good. Um, and that was at Green Valley Ranch. And at the time, that was probably one of the biggest ranches raining ranches as far as they got studs and tom mccutcheon was there and so it was an incredible place to get you know your feet wet um and then right out of high school i like the day i graduated high school i moved down there and worked um all the way through the fraternity with brent lowski um you know and i'm very appreciative for brent taking me in because looking back at it i mean i knew nothing uh and, and one thing, like, I've always been good. I always ask a lot of questions. I always just sit back and watch, you know. I don't, I don't want to say I'm self-taught, but I've tried to make myself pay attention and try to figure a lot of stuff out by myself. So from Brent's, uh, so I was there from May, I think, whenever I get out of high school, to uh, all the way through the fraternity. And then I moved back to Illinois and went to Blackhawk College. I kind of... Uh, you know, in my mind, you always know, well, what, what's going to happen if you get hurt or blah, blah, blah. You're going to have something to fall back on. But honestly, I think I more or less just did it to ease my parents, you know, a little bit. But it was a, I went to Blackhawk College and it was an equestrian school. 
Um, so when I was there, I actually student taught one of the one of the riding classes, um, and I rode a couple horses for my teachers. Um, but I remember I had to do an internship, and I got hooked up with Mike Davis, who was in Davenport, Iowa. He was a he was an hour away. Um, but when I was at school. I was on the horse show team, and so like that, say Monday night I had practice, and that would be at, we usually get done at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Well, I'd usually just stay on my buddy's couch that night, and then the next morning I'd have to get up at 6 o'clock, I'd student teach the riding class, I'd go to class all day, um, I think I usually got out on Tuesdays at like 4 o'clock, I'd drive an hour to Mike's, I'd work until... 10 or 11 o'clock I'd sleep on his couch until like three o'clock next morning I'd get up I'd clean stalls I'd feed I'd ride use as many as I could I think I'd usually get six or seven in I had to leave Mike's at like nine or ten it was an hour drive back to school just to start the whole thing so that and then that day I'd stay there go through class go to the horse show team practice and it was just like a vicious like I mean I was broke uh, I probably only slept three or four hours a night and I did that for a good year, at least a year. And the one thing I could think just in my mind when I was doing that, and it was really tough. Um, and when I say I was broke, like it was a blessing that Taco Bell had the, the 69 cent burrito. Cause that's, that's what kept me going. But I remember just thinking, I'm like, I bet I'm the only kid my age doing this right now. Like, you know, and that was kind of the driving factor. And, and that's one thing I've always been self-driven. Uh, I've never had anybody, never had to have anybody say, you know, go harder, go harder. So it was always my mentality. But every morning driving to school, I was like, I'm doing something that I know nobody else my age is doing. And that was kind of like a little chip on your shoulder that made you keep pushing through. Um, so right out of high, or right out of college, I just kind of stayed with Mike and I was with Mike for five years, Mike Davis. And, um, that was probably where I matured into, you know, as far as learning the most stuff, um, being able to get in the show situation. I showed my very first horse in 2009. Matter of fact, we were just talking about that this morning and like, um, I showed my very first horse in 2009. So 12 years ago, I showed my very first reigning horse. Um, but it was just kind of a cool time because, you know, I was growing into it and I was hungry and I was just getting a little piece of the pie every once in a while. It was just enough to keep making me hungry and make me go more. And I really think that's probably where I evolved the most. Um, but after five years, I decided to go work for Gabe Hutchins. And at that time, he's the, the Darling Triple Eight Ranch in uh, Princeton, Kentucky. I felt like I just needed to go um you know get another notch under your belt you know learn as much as you can from somewhere else but um i kind of needed to go somewhere where there was just a little bit more horsepower uh and mike agreed with it um you know it was a very hard conversation because he was like a stepdad to me um but he's like you need to go because you're kind of beyond this um and i was there for two and a half years staying there three years when i was there um there was a horse that I actually picked out as a yearling. His name was FM Shining Tag Checks. Um, and in 2014, I won the level three at the Congress on him, and I made my first level four finals. I think I was seventh on him in the Congress. 
um, and then took him to the fraternity. I missed the level four open finals by half a point. I was I won the level one fraternity, and I was reserving level two and three. I think that year I ended up winning about ninety thousand, and it was kind of like my yeah, it was kind of my breakout year. Um, and that was kind of the first horse that ever said, you know, all right, this is what it's supposed to feel like. All that stuff you learned, this is why you learned it. And I'm going to show you what it was like. So I definitely don't think I would have been, would have gotten as, here as fast as I did without that horse. Um, or also Brent Lewski, Mike Davis, and Gabe Hutchins. You know, I mean, I'm one person that I'm very proud of who I worked for. I'm still very close. Actually, everyone that I worked for was out there when I when I went over the million dollar mark, which is very special to me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got got into it. In 2015, I started up my own business. That's uh, quite the story. I love so much about it. Actually, I'm from Illinois as well. I'm from Naperville, and my mom grew up over in oh, Amboy. Yeah. So, so I so know I the area. To to, I used to go to Amboy. The the what was it? The green. Um, was it the Green oh, the River Trail Club or whatever? Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> I used to go there. Yep, for sure. We probably had, crossed paths at some I'm point sure. and never even knew it. I'm sure. So That's I'll tell you a funny, funny story. And this kind of uh, this kind of has molded me into, you know, I'm very, very particular about how my horses look. And I get that from my grandpa, who my grandpa Melvin is the absolute reason I'm into horses. He, he truly is. He's been the biggest influence on me. Um. But my grandpa is one of those people that won't say a lot and he'll say exactly what he wants. And, you know, it's, you know, where you stand. And I remember one time I had this, so like the very first horse I ever truly trained, my first horse was a two-year-old app stud, which why they bought me a stud, I don't know. Uh, but he was a not, big, not just a two-year-old, a stud. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he was beautiful, big blanket, uh, big blanket Appaloosa. And I remember I went to uh, to Amboy, the trail club, to trail ride, and I took him, and my grandpa showed up uh, just to hang out. It, it, I think Amboy's only like half hour from Wynette, where I'm from. Um, matter of fact, my uh, high school, we played Amboy in our conference. But that's a funny story. Um, so my grandpa shows up, and my leopard, or my blanket Appaloosa's got a big old manure stain on his white. And my grandpa told me, he said, if you ever take a horse off our property with manure stand on it, I'm going to sell every horse you have. And I still, like my horses today, if they go, even they go to the vet, they better be clipped. They better be clean. Because, you know, you're, you're putting out an image. And that's what he was teaching me. You, you're putting out an image. And he taught me that when I was probably 10 years old. Uh, you know, he used some words that I don't really want to say on here that I was like, but he was serious. And I, and honestly kind of been like a motto of mine that you know anytime you're in public they better look like you know however you want to be represented so that was a funny story about the amboy truck the truck club yeah that's that's so funny yeah i know i grew up going to that that yeah. club. my my aunt got married there my grandparents yep. funerals were there it was yep. like i remember the, the little bar the barrel race and the little tiny arena on the big hill <laughs> That's funny. Oh man, yeah, we probably crossed paths when we were um, like, a very long time ago. Um, yeah. But wow, no, I like Blackhawk is an insanely good school, especially if you yeah. want to get a degree in in the you know equestrian world and yep. a lot of people who went there. And but like you said, I mean, it takes a really the horse. The horse industry is not for 
for you know the week of heart it takes a lot of driving and working and and like you said you were putting in so many hours on top of your school schedule and your showing schedule and and it's just you know i think it's it, it it's definitely proved to be worth it because you just took home a, you know the run for a million you just took home what five hundred thousand dollars the other day in one run yeah so yeah you know i think mark. i think you definitely have to be like a little um stubborn minded to be able to push through you know the hard it's it's not an easy job just being an assistant you know you're you're there to work and you know you're getting paid really for your college i mean people don't think of it that way so you know you're there to work and learn so that's kind of how it was it wasn't it's not a great paying job um but it's it's tough but i don't think you can be successful without having to go through the struggles of that Anyway, going from, you, you talked about that you started your business in 2015, right? Yep. So what was the kind of deciding factor on like, this is like, you, you finally just felt the confidence to be able to go out on your own. Cause I would imagine that's a pretty hard transition to make when you've been working for all these great trainers. And like you said, with Gabe, like the reason you went to Gabe was because the horsepower was there and, and you know, it's a pretty common thing that when someone goes out on their own, they don't necessarily get that kind of horsepower that an established horse trainer has. So that's that's a pretty big step to take. What what kind of was your deciding factor on that? You know, I think I I finally had a good credential. Um, you know, coming off that win, the fraternity win, and you know, at that point, I I was starting to get all. So I was at the time I was in, um, I was in Overbrook, Oklahoma, is where where. I ended up before I went on my own and I had a lot of people from Illinois that had followed me around, uh, through different trainers. And I had a lot of people that were, um, really wanting to buy me horses. And I just felt like now was the opportunity. So I actually went back to, uh, Dean where Ottawa, Illinois, Leland, Illinois, it's not too far from Naperville. Actually. Um, I, I went there and started up my own business just because, you know, I thought that was an area that kind of wasn't being, you know, touched that much. And I thought there was a lot of good clients that, you know, and also, I mean, it's not an easy thing. And I knew that there's going to be times where I was going to need help. And I was an hour away from my family. I could grow up. I'm, I have a really, really close family. So I always needed, knew that, you know, sometimes you're going to need to have a little help. And I thought that was important to me. Um, but I think it was just a timing, you know, it was kind of come off that, off that win and, I don't know if you're ever really ready, but uh, I think it's kind of one thing that you just got to hang it out there and try it. Um, but really, I was an assistant trainer for 10 years, too. So I felt like I put in my dues. Um, you know, it was, it was just time. You could just tell it was time. So would you say that there was a moment, you know, you talked about how you watched Wimpy's little step in the fraternity, and that was your first encounter with the reigning would you say that there was a moment since then that made you realize like this is what I want to be doing this is where I'm supposed to be or or I mean other than last night probably was a pretty good confirmation so, but I'll tell you what what really fascinates me um so I was saying I, I kind of learned I actually probably got introduced to reigning through Clinton Anderson um but and I'm very very fortunate uh, I thank him a lot I actually become close friends with him um but, you know, learning how to dissect a horse's body and teach it how to move this part where, that was just fascinating to me that I could do that, you know, be able to side pass a horse, uh, push their hip up, 
And I think once I learned the body control aspect of it, and I remember the first time my horse accidentally turned or actually accidentally spun, I was like, that is the coolest freaking feeling in the world. And it was the same thing. I didn't get to stop a horse until later, but I was like, that is incredible. Like that was probably the ultimate high that I'd ever had. Just that feeling of complete power steering. But again, it all goes back to you're teaching this horse to do something with its mind. You're teaching to crave that maneuver. Um, I think the horseman in me, like once I learned how to take the the ability to teach this horse to move its body wherever I wanted it, and then not only that, but teach it how to use its mind to do what I wanted, that part right there, and it still is fascinating to me, but that is what, that is probably what pushed me more towards the reining. Um, and I do think a reining horse is the ultimate broke horse because you know, like when I was at Mike Davis's, I had to give a lot of lessons just to people wanting to learn how to ride. An old retired reiner is the absolute easiest horse to give a lesson to because they steer, they get tight, they stop. Um, you know, and that's that's one thing I thought I've always, I don't know, I guess the more I got into it, the more I was addicted to it. But I would say when I first learned how to spin one and move its body around, the control aspect of it, that's when I knew that I wanted to be a horse trainer. I get that. Um, after about 15 years of doing the all around, I rode a cow horse and stopped and turned and worked a cow. And I was like, yeah, this is, it's this just is where addicting. I want to be. It, it's just addicting. I mean, it's really, totally. it's, it's kind of, I, I don't want to say intimidating because that's not the word, but you're just like, wow, this horse is doing this all by itself. And, you know, I feel like being in, it's like being in so much control that you're, almost not in control in your mind you're not you're not having to do it for them that that's that's the coolest feeling in the world yeah i had ridden some like pretty nice all-around horses and it just couldn't compare to the first time i rode a cow horse or and now i have a rainer a, mm -hmm. a yearling coming through that i haven't obviously ridden yet but um you know it just that feeling of like the power you have underneath yeah. of you when you go like running into a stop and you just oh, yeah. i mean you just move your body the littlest amount and they're right there with you and it's just yeah. oh man and what's really cool is um and especially the, the quality of horses I'm getting now, but these horses want to do it so bad. So like uh, one of my good four-year-olds, his name's Trendsetter, who I've been showing all year. And I've never been around an animal that loves to ride. Like, so after the Derby, the NRHA Derby, I just kind of turned him out every day. I was like, you need a good break. Like, I mean, he's so, he's robotic. And I was like, I just want to give you a, you know, mental break, turn you out. And that horse, after about two days, would just look at me. I turned him out in the round pen and just look at me like, are you going to ride me or not? Like, and that horse, like, he seriously is the happiest being ridden. And it's not even like having to do the maneuvers, but he loves it when, you know, if I got some friends or something, I'm like, go get on Trendsetter and lope him around. He absolutely freaking loves it. And that is really cool to see that these horses, uh, they want to do their jobs and they love it. You know, I think that's, that is really cool now. I feel like that probably makes your job so much more rewarding when, you know, you both love it and you can tell that they love it. And is that, you know, when you're looking for a horse that to start in the reining, is that something that that's, you look for or what, what all do you look for to find a good that, one? That would probably be of the factors that is the absolute most important factor because if they don't want to do it, you got to remember they're a, 
1100 pound animal there's no way you can make them do it and even if you make them do it once they're going to get you somewhere you know they're going to kick out or say no um so a lot of times those horses don't work that long you know i don't think they have longevity and i understand some horses are tough and you get you know it takes a while to get them and once they get them they usually get it but you know those ones that just want to they want to be your buddy uh, and usually it's not even so much just doing reining maneuvers. They're the same ones that they pick up teaching how to lunge right away, you know, whatever you want. They're just nice horses. You know, that's kind of every horse that I've had that's been good. They want to be your best friend, whether it's just walking around in the barn. They're just nice horses. Um, and that's one reason, too, like I'm a big believer in gelding uh, a lot of these horses. Because I want to turn these into nice horses that, you know, my niece is going to ride or, you know, eventually it's going to, it's going to be a non-pro. To me, most of these high-end horses, open horses, they're going to get sold to non-pro horses. Uh, and usually it's, you know, older women or younger kids or, you know, uh, and then it's going to get sold down to a rookie horse. Eventually it's going to be a youth horse. So for me training a horse, you know, I try to put a lot of, thought into my program as far as solid horses but keep in mind if they're not nice to be around it's going to make hauling that horse a pain in the butt so that's one thing like for me like i try to pick up on right away i'm very big on making nice good show horses that love their job and when they're broke i can turn them out i don't gotta ride the tar out of them every day so that's very important but that really goes to the mind and i don't think you can make like in today's event is um specific as it is and there's so many good horses if these horses don't want to do it you're, you're really wasting your time you can still teach them but they're never going to take a hold and say you know like one thing like you really think about the winner of the of every event they're always saying pick me pick me you know there's just something about those horses and if they don't have that uh and just because they don't have it early on doesn't mean they won't have it later but if they don't want to be with you usually it doesn't work usually they don't have the heart for it but exactly. i mean you bring up you bring up a huge point the the skill set that these horses are are doing if they didn't want to do it there's no way you could force a horse to be able to do that kind of stuff and and to be able to do it time and time and time again so it's no and, and one thing like you've got to think about so we've been trying to breed reining horses for really getting specifically breeding reining horses for probably the last 40 years so really majority of these horses that are hitting the ground as babies, they'll be all stop and turn. I mean, that's just a given. How good, you know, are they all plus one turners? No, uh, but what's gonna separate those ones is what's upstairs. And if that mind wants to do it, that's what can take a horse from a half maneuver off their talent and push it into a one because they want to and they crave it. Um, so one of the, probably the very first horse, actually, the. The very first horse I truly, really felt that on um, was a mare named Chexworthy, and she was the very first horse I ever made level four finals on. So going into the three-year-old year, she was probably my number eight horse. If you, if I was going to rank them, she was probably my number eighth horse that, you know, I never thought she was going to turn into what she did. But her mind was incredible. Her mind was more than her talent, uh, and she was talented. But um, going into your, your the three-year-old year, I thought she would was just going to be a non-pro horse, but she was consistent. Every day she came out and said, what do you want me to do? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. She, I mean, literally was your best friend, a heart of gold. 
And uh, that mayor showed that way. She was like, if you want me to do this, I will do it. And I will do it more. Uh, and that was probably the first time I ever felt a horse's mind overweigh their talent. And I think that mayor today has won $80,000. Uh, I I won 40000 on her. And then um, she went to a lower level trainer. But that mayor, that was the first time I ever felt a horse just go, I'm here for you, pick me. And she, I mean, turned into my number one horse. So it was just incredible the way that horse's mind was. She was just... She wanted you, she wanted to do whatever you wanted. And if you asked for hundred percent, she's going to give you more. Just, that was pretty special. I yeah. also liked your, um, your comments about having geldings and doing that just because yeah. I like, I, you know, I've been around so many people that have always been like, man, I, I want to have a stallion. I want to have a stud. And I'm just looking, I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think they got to be pretty special to be a stud. Um, and most of the good studs. Uh, they act like geldings anyways. Um, you know, and yeah, keep in mind, I do think that, you know, even testosterone carries down in generations. So if they're an orangutan, the baby's going to be orangutans too. And, you know, and, and that's something that, you know, if you, us as professionals, we're still trying to mold. We're trying to make the reigning horse better and better. So, uh, you know, and that's all mental stuff. So, you know, if that's one thing we're going to influence, you know, if they can't handle being a stud, well, they probably don't need to be a stud. And usually it catches up to them. You know, there's so many different ways of a horse being study. Uh, that doesn't mean they're vocal. Um, they could be pushy in their belly, that's, which is where I feel it a lot. You know, they always got that pushback. Um, you know, they can get that some studs get a little too timid. Um you know, and I always think sometimes you don't know until you haul them to a horse show. Well, if they don't haul good, you know, like Vegas, that was a that was a 19 hour haul. Well, if they're more worried about fighting the horse next to them, they're going to be wore out. Same thing when you stick them in a, some of these places. You know, we go to they're they're uh, they're not solid dividers in between the stalls. And if you're stalled next to another stud and they're sitting there fighting, there's no way they're focused on doing their job. And there's no way you're going to get the most out of them. So as an investment standpoint. You know, that is something that you do have full control of if you castrate them. But, you know, as a trainer, it it's something that you you can't really control if they're sitting there fighting or playing around their stall all night. And now when you get them out, their mind's somewhere else or they're so tired that they can't do the job or they're focused. You know, there's so many outcomes that that people don't realize that go into play with testosterone. Um, you know, it's the same thing with mares, you know one thing that's important with a mare is trying to control their heat cycle. You know, you don't want to go to the horror show and, and, you know, they come in heat and now, you know, stuff happens that never happened before, you know? So that is one thing that goes into, um, that goes into the, the factor of a training program. But I do know one thing that we can control is if you gel the horse, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You know, and it just makes it to me. It makes those horses a lot happier too. I mean, I've never, I've never seen a gelding that, you know, after the whole procedure, a couple months after you geld it, they weren't happier. I mean, it, so I don't know. I'm, a, I'm a big believer in making nice, solid show horses that are going to last a long time. And, and, you know, I, I, I do think there's a couple horses that in my barn that I think are exceptional as stallions, and there's a good chance they're going to have a breeding career, but. That doesn't mean every stud walks in the barn needs to be a stud. Yeah, that's definitely something that I feel like 
more people need to understand because so many people are just like, oh, this horse is so well-bred, it's so talented, whatever, it needs to be a stud. And then it's like, it's really not what's best for its career or for, you know, the no. trainer or for its life and things like that. But it sounds like, obviously, you've had a lot of different horses in your life. If you had to pick one that was the most influential, would you be able to pick one? I don't think I could, just because, I mean, I've had... The one horse I never mentioned was the very first horse that me and my... Well, very first true reigning horse that me and my grandpa bought together. His name was That Little Step Up. And he only won like $2,000. But that horse's mind was so good. And I messed him up so many times just trying to learn stuff. And he'd always come back be like, okay, oh, you don't want to do it that way? Let's do it this way. You know, like he let me... He let me... He probably taught me the most. And I, and I always tell people... You kind of got to have that test dummy to try stuff on. And it's not really, you need to learn what not to do. You know, that's where you're going to truly learn the stuff. The stuff that works, you're just going to naturally pick. You're going to go, okay, I want to do that. But, you know, every year on my horses, I go, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that. And it really wasn't necessary. Uh, you know, I, I think the stuff that works, you're just going to magically do it. And the stuff that you're going to learn what not to do. Well, that's kind of what turns you into what you are. I think that's how you build your program. But, you know, that's a horse that I never really mentioned. Um, and, you know, that horse, i tell you one thing I did learn because I had to pay for, you know, most of the show, show expenses. Well, I spun five times on that horse more than, I mean, probably more than I spun four times. And a big thing that horse taught me was to count your spins. <laughs> and it was on my dime, too. So, you know, that horse. It's an expensive mistake. <laughs> There's a lot of horses that taught me a lot. Um, you know, isn't she perfect? That was a horse that I was a uh, reserve fraternity champion on. And that horse probably give me, that was probably the the breakout horse that said, you can do it. Like, you're that close to doing it, you know. Um, she was probably the one that, that got my name out there, you know, big time. Um you know, a trendsetter probably is one of the most fun horses I've ever got to train just because his physical ability is uh, absolutely incredible and his mind is incredible. And I still don't think I've gotten out of him what I, what I'm, what's in there yet. But I mean, gonna stop for what this horse has done for me. I was just talking to um, one of my close friends, Brandon Brandt, and, you know, I've shown that horse for, since he was four. And I think of all the times I've shown them, there's only been like two or three times I did not get my picture and get my face in the wind picture on that horse, which is pretty incredible, really. I mean, that horse was always good for me. And the times he didn't, like the one time at the Derby, he spun so hard. And when I shut him off, he sat down, sat on his hock for a, a split second. And I was going to be a 24 and a half in the go around. Didn't make the final. I mean, he was incredible, but it's just like, he just had a little bit of luck. It was never not being good. Um, and then obviously winning the the richest event we've ever had and pushing me over the million dollar mark, you know, that horse is, he's got a special story behind him too as well. But I mean, probably that horse is going to be one of the most influential or has done the most for me. You know, uh, I mean, I don't think you can say Cole Price without thinking about going to stop. So yeah, that was pretty I special. I was, uh, I, I used to be the managing editor for the Rainer, and I remember when you showed Isn't She Perfect at the fraternity, and I mean, seeing that beautiful gray mare going oh. to that, I mean, it's, it's hard to not remember that picture. Yes, yeah, she, so. she was, 
she that mare had absolute heart of gold too like she was that was probably the first special horse i had like just she was like a robot mind like she was i don't just you could show her something once or twice and if that's what she knew she was supposed to do she was gonna do it but what was really cool about that horse is what she would do in the show pen like she was just she was so dialed in and would give you more like I know going into the first go round, we had to change small, slow. And I was a little worried about it. Like I've been working on it for like two months, uh, you know, and it wasn't really a problem. It was just a matter of making it perfect the way I wanted it. And it truly never is that perfect, but that was like, she changed the best in her life when I showed her and she just did stuff in the show pen. I mean, that mare one and a half a backup. She could, she could run backwards faster. And I mean, most horses can go forward and it's just that she just had that intensity to her. There's a picture back there. You can't see it right now. You can see it. Yep. That was when I marked 227, but that was that horse. It was like, that was the first time I marked that big of a score. And it was just like, okay, you have a shot at, at being with these people, you know, all these people you looked up to and that mare's like, I'm taking you there. So that was a pretty cool feeling. I also remember, cause gonna stop was the level one and yep. two fraternity. I, I remember, and I, uh, I had a chance to speak with Allie and I mean, you could tell that horse was so special to her. Oh. So, uh, to be able to have a horse like gonna stop in your program now that's huge and and i know ali would be so proud of what you've done oh, yeah. with him you know it, it was pretty cool when i came out of it when i marked the 28 and a half in in the um in the run i came out of the pen and i told kelsey i said there was a little extra push from somebody with us there i mean you could just feel it like you know it, it was just different it was pretty cool and i know like ali she lived through that horse she loved that horse uh you know, not to get off off topic about there's a special story if you know it about and clearly you do. Like just you know, it makes everything that much neater, you know, it's just cooler. Yeah, it, I was super excited when I saw that score come up and and then see you win because you actually went into a runoff against Sean Florida. And so that yeah. I mean talk about the pressure of a lifetime is like not only did you you went like second to last and then you scored this insane score and then florida comes in right after you ties it so then you're having to go in again at the biggest event ever against sean florida who is somebody that like that was, was the first guy he, you saw do a race run and he's know? a stone cold killer like that is he one guy he's like doing. he's a finisher yeah yeah uh you know what so this is a little side story, but this is just how my mind works. So when I was, when I had FM shine and tag checks, when I showed them at the, in the, made my very first level four final at the Congress, everybody ahead of me was at least a million dollar rider. And everybody behind me was probably for the next six or seven places was a million dollar rider. And they asked me in my interview, was that intimidating? I said, absolutely not, because that is where I picture myself. Like, if you want to be with those guys, you better, you better you better be able to compete against them and not, not worry about it. So my mentality has always been, I've never been a person to shy away or let that bother me. But honestly, it was like living out your childhood dream. It was like so surreal. And I was at peace with it. I was like, you know what? If he beats me, I'm just being a part of it. Like the fact that I am running against Sean Florida and, and not only that, but I'm a threat to Sean Florida. Like, that was that's like living and i even told sean that i was like that's like living out your your dreams and 
uh, I don't even say childhood dreams because it's still, I mean, I, you lay awake thinking about, thinking about that. Um, I mean, it just, that was just so cool. Did I feel any pressure? No, I really didn't. And I'm not a person. I don't, I usually as knock on wood, don't get too nervous. I just get more focused. Um, because you know what really it goes into you're riding a horse that I rode every day. I knew him like the back of my hand. There was a couple spots in the pattern. I knew I just needed to get through. Um, you know, it was really cool because I had um, some people that I really look up to, like Andre Fapani and Craig Smersel and Tom McCutcheon. You know, they're pulling me aside and saying, hey, you know, make sure you be slow with your hand and blah, 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 blah. And, and that was, you know, it's really cool when, when your idols become your friends, you know. Uh and, and one thing that before me and Sean even heard our, our, uh, our scores, we gave each other a big hug and like, he's like, I'm so proud of you for being here. And I was like, Dude, you have no, you have no idea how much you influenced me. Probably without Sean Florida, I probably wouldn't have, you know, seen Wimpy's Little Steps run and probably have pushed myself to want to be who I am. So that was a. As a side note from the event, that was really cool to be a part of that. Well, and being from the Midwest, I think, you Absolutely. know, I, like Sean Florida, like that was who I grew up knowing as like the arena being from Illinois, yeah. you know, he's from Ohio. And so, yeah, to like to have seen this person, you're, you know, you see the first horse that you've ever seen in a reigning event and it'd be, you know, Wimpy's Little Step, but you know, Florida, and now you're not only competing against him, but beating him. That says a lot. Yeah, about and I'll tell you one thing that that was one thing that was really cool about those people that were in that. And it's really cool about raining in general. But everybody that I competed against, uh, the 15 riders, they have helped me. They, I've always I've answered. I've asked them questions. They've helped me. Uh, you know, that that's pretty cool to have everybody you're competing against at some point help you. So I, I think that is, that's a testament to, to what raining is about, you know, um, but that's really cool. And I think that's cool from a professional level that, you know, your colleagues are there rooting for you and, you know, that's pretty special. Yeah. I have to say like in my very new journey into the raining and in the cow horse world, it's just amazing how wonderful people are. And, and yeah. I, I remember at my first time I showed, I, nobody, I didn't know anybody and people were whistling for me and I was like, wow, that's, that's really nice. And it's nice. Like people coming out and saying, congratulations or good job, or, you know, look out for this when you're in there. And yeah, I think, I think that says a lot about the industry and, and the people that are in it. Yeah. It, it was, it was pretty special. I mean, it's like, it still hasn't really kicked in and I don't know that it, it truly will just because right now my mind is thinking on to the next horse show. So we flew home Sunday afternoon so I could be back riding Monday morning. I, I was on a horse at five 30, you know, so I don't really know that I'm getting the full effect of, you know, enjoying it. And I don't know that I ever will just because my mind is, you know, you get a taste of it and now you just want more of it. And you know, that requires hard work and putting your head down and going out in the arena and riding. So, um, you know, I don't know that I'll truly get the full effect of it, but uh, it was pretty special. I love that, you know, like you said, you're on to the next one. I think that's so important for someone to not get caught up in that and be like, oh, like, you know, kind of get a big head over it. And it just seems like you're just totally like ready for the next one, want to keep going and just keep doing well. So what's 
I don't know if this is a question you can answer, but like, what's next for you? Do you have any horses coming up that like you're really excited for? So my, my, some goals that I'm really focused on, um, I'd like to win the four-year-old, um, the four-year-old derby at the high roller reigning classic, which I won on gonna stop two years ago. There's a lot of added money in that. And obviously the fraternity, that's my, that's my, that's my main focus. That's, I got one. Um, I got a, I got a group of horses that I'm really excited about. Um, we leave actually um, probably Saturday for Tulsa. So we're going to start showing the three-year-olds, but there's a couple goals, you know, obviously I'd, I'd love to win the Congress, but the, uh, the high roller reigning class, the four-year-old deal. And then obviously the fraternity. Three huge events that are all coming up so soon. Um, you're yep. going to be busy these next couple months. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Perfect. Well, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. And you I know you've had a crazy busy schedule after your your win this weekend. And of course, by the time this probably comes out, it'll be a couple of months or weeks from now just because of uh, the last cowboy. But yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming Absolutely. on and talking to us. And my pleasure. And I was so excited when I found out that you like just coincidentally had you in the lineup to do those podcasts and then you win the biggest event in history. Yeah. So uh, that was awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. tuning into the ride podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow horse and rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com if you guys have any questions or comments please be sure to hit us up at horse and rider at equine we want to hear from you guys and if you like what you're listening to be sure to leave us a review on itunes Thanks again to Bymeda for sponsoring this episode of The Ride.